Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's time to turn your garden into a smart garden on News Radio 830 WCCO. Smart Gardens, an hour of expert advice and answers to all of your lawn and gardening questions. You can call 989-9226 or text us at 81807. Now, here's Denny Law with this week's Smart Garden. Yes, indeed. We're back at it, welcoming your phone calls and text messages, your lawn and garden questions. Julie Weisenhorn's back with us. I haven't seen Julie for a couple of weeks or so. Been nice to see planting. you again. You've been busy planting, doing <laughs> yeah. kind of uh, w- doing the uh, walk in the walk and That's doing right. the talk. Walk in the walk, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, we've been planting uh, some uh, flowers for pollinators along some community gardens through Minneapolis mm-hmm. Homegrown, and then mm-hmm. also uh, working with the Pillsbury United Communities, uh, doing my pepper project over there. So, but what's that about? It's uh, looking at the interplanting of. Uh, pollinator attractive annual flowers with peppers to see if they actually become more productive. Well, you you folks from the U of M can talk like that. <laughs> the best part about the project is that the peppers that we grow go to uh, the food shelf and also to the uh, kitchen oh, that's great. Uh, for Pillsbury United Communities, one of the oldest nonprofits in Minnesota. Really? 140 years that. old, started wow. by one of the Pillsbury Sons. That's great. Yeah. Well, uh, we promised uh, we we really zero in on both lawn and garden talk today because you brought somebody special yeah, as a John friend of Trappy's ours. Yeah, John Trappy's back with me. Great to be back. Thanks yeah. for being here. Yeah, welcome. So and glad what, you're here. What would you give John his proper title? What, what can we call it, John? He is a postdoc, I believe, in turf sure. research mm-hmm. and outreach now. He's become almost, uh, he's become our turf guy here. So let's so call him great. the turf guy. Yeah, here he's the turf the guy. And if you have any, again, any kind of a lawn or garden question, now is your chance. We tend to get busy here. So if you have any question for Julie and John, 651-989-9226. There's a line open, fill it, or send a text like a lot of folks have already done, 81807. I asked you this, and I think other folks may be wondering this as well. We were talking off air about the boxwoods at my right. house. These yeah. are long-established boxwoods that look dead. I know. And, you know, the best uh, best response we have for it is it was a hard winter on plants. There were a lot of, uh, we've heard from a lot of people that established plants, long-time uh, shrubs in your yard have uh, have kind of kicked the bucket this year. They've been either browsed to death by animals or just the combination of, uh, you know, an early fall. We were talking, John and I were talking about that. Early winter, I'm sorry. And uh, the really cold temperatures, and we didn't have any snow until February, pretty much. All of those combinations, uh, you know, really wreaked havoc on some of our landscape plants. The other thing to remember, too, is you mentioned your boxwoods were 15 years old. Yeah. There is a life cycle, a lifetime to plants. So some plants just don't live longer than others. Uh, Some are short-lived, 20-year trees or so. 
Uh, some are really long, like oaks and things, if they're healthy. But sometimes they're just that's just the there end is of their a lifeline. Life You're right. Well. I never thought yeah. about that. That's so it's just time to replace them. Plus, given the crazy shrubs. weather, that plus that, given yeah, it's yeah. really hard on them. Well, again, uh, as Julie said, John uh, Trappy is with us today. If you have any kind of a turf question, this is uh, this is oh, yeah. an opportune time to call or text and ask John uh, your question. Uh, again, I'll tell you what. Let's do this. Let's. We've already got tons of phone calls and text messages. Uh, let's go to the phones. Mary Ellen is calling from New Ulm, Minnesota. Mary Ellen, good morning. Good morning. Thank morning. you for taking my call. Mm-hmm. I have two, two two lilac bushes, and um, they're blooming very nice. I mean, they're not blooming. I mean, uh, okay. they're growing very nice and green, but they didn't bloom this year, and I'd like to trim them. Uh, back like I do most years. Uh, I wondered if when I can trim them or if I should. Or... Are these uh, are these your common lilacs that yes. bloom? Okay, so now is a good time to prune them. So uh, our common lilacs around central Minnesota have finished blooming for the most part, and yours did not bloom. Um, part of it could be uh, if you've trimmed them before if you've trimmed them too late in the season. So because they're spring-blooming plants, you need to prune them as soon as they're done blooming. And the reason for that is these plants in the next few weeks or so will set their flower buds for next year. And if you prune them too late, you prune off the flower buds for next year. The other option might be, the other situation might be that the plants are have become shaded over the years and they're, it's just too shady. These are full sun plants that really do well in full sun, and you're going to get the most flower in full sun. So uh, if you need to prune them, now would be the time. And then uh, and then hopefully next year, you know, look at the light, and then next year hopefully you'll have some blossoms. All right. Thanks, Mary Ellen. Uh, John, I wanted to ask you about, about that. my lawn is looking pretty good, but is there are, are there certain things we should or should not be doing to our yard right now this time of year? Uh, basic lawn maintenance for uh, for right now should be uh, should really just be making sure that uh, if you had not fertilized uh, in the spring and and you typically need to fertilize because you say you have a, a sandier soil or lower organic matter uh, you could fertilize now um, from now until the end of June and then after that I I wouldn't fertilize anymore after that but otherwise it's just basically uh, you know staying on top of the mowing and uh, making sure you're mowing. Uh, as as needed, and about uh, yeah. As far as I was going to ask, why not fertilize that after the end of June? So uh, typically speaking, if you fertilize when the the plants are starting to go into summer stress, uh, say in July, we get longer stretches between rainfall events. Uh, you're you're essentially telling the plant to grow, uh, and in doing so, they're going to have to uh, try to withstand that stress, and they're going to have more plant matter to try to try to try to. Uh, to do that. So we recommend just waiting until the fall to fertilize if, if you've missed already up in, by the end of late June. If you haven't fertilized by then, then wait until the fall. And mo- grasses are cool season grasses. Correct. They grow yeah. well in the spring and fall. In yeah. mowing, we should keep it, what, three, four inches? Uh, the taller, the better. Typically. Taller, the better. Yeah. The, Keeps the weeds out. Yeah. So if you if you increase your mowing height at a, a taller, you will have to, uh, the plants will need uh, less water. They'll be more resistant to weeds generally speaking, insects and diseases as well. And the, the added benefit of mowing higher is that you have to mow more infrequently or less often uh, because we recommend not mowing any more than one-third of the leaf surface at a time in a single mowing event. So by mowing taller, you can actually extend that window of how often you have to mow. Very good. All right. 
Let's do, let's go back to the phones. I think Sean is calling from Andover. Sean, uh, you're on CCO. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Um, so I have a couple five-year-old fruit trees. One is a plum tree um, and one is a pear tree. And it seems they didn't fare too well in the winter time. I, I pruned them. I gave them a moderate pruning towards the end of February. And they did leaf and they did have a couple blooms. Um, but the leaves and blooms started turning black and then dying, and now I have bare trees. And I'm just wondering if that means uh, they died in the spring, or are they just taking time off to recover? It could have been, uh, boy, that, I'm sorry to hear that. I love both of those trees, but it could have been uh, the combination of the weather that we had that that killed those plants. Now, you don't tell me what kinds of uh, pear and plum they are, but if they are really early uh blooming plants they in other words they bloom earlier uh, than some hardier varieties then it could be or they leaf out earlier then it could be that they leafed out or bloomed early really early and you know we got hit with snow I think uh, it was in May and really had some cold cold weather in April so it probably killed the leaves and killed the the blossoms and that's why you didn't have very much of either of those now if you want to look at the branches and just bend those branches and see if they snap, if they're actually if it's actually truly dead, mm-hmm. then you know then, then you've lost those plants for this year. But if they if they're green and flexible, uh, then I would say just kind of keep them watered well uh, as as needed, you know, based on rainfall, and then um, and then just keep an eye on them. They may re-leaf out. That's possible. Okay. Texter says, my indoor lime tree is now outside, but seems to be too much sun for it. Uh, it only gets morning sun. I thought they need more sun. It faces the same direction in the winter in the window and tries to grow limes inside, but all fall off too soon. What's wrong? Well, it may be that it's in, uh, let's see, I'm reading, that's a long text. <laughs> it may be that um, that it's almost getting too much sun. Maybe it wasn't acclimated to the outdoors. I'm not sure when you put it outside, uh, but it really should try to, um, you should try to acclimate it more outside. In other words, slowly increase the sunlight, maybe put it into a part shade uh, area right now to just kind of, you know, it's kind of hot out here. It's really a big change. So, um, and then slowly move it into more sun. The Why it Fall, why the limes fall off inside is because the plant, the environment is just not conducive. Uh, it's either not getting enough water or uh, the plant just can't hang on to the fruit. That's a lot of energy. And so you may try fertilizing it more. It may need to be repotted. Um, it might need some pruning. And uh, so it might need a general overhaul on the care there. So, Okay. Uh, you know what? We didn't need to take a quick break. So those folks on the line, stay there. We're going to get uh, your questions answered, texters as well. So don't go away. And welcome back to our Smart Garden Show here on CCO. In the studio for just joining us, Julie Weisenhorn and John Traffy from the University of Minnesota Extension. And the callers and texters, we could be here for days, <laughs> I think, answering those. But we appreciate that. We pre- There is one line yeah, open if you want to use know? it. Yeah. What if nobody ever called? It would be you and I would have, and John would have a long conversation. We'd be having coffee, <laughs> which we are anyway. So Let's go to Rockford, Iowa. I think Sandra is there here on uh, CCO. Sandra, good morning. Good morning, and thank you for taking my call. Sure. You bet. I, I enjoy your show. Thank you. Thank you. Um, 
I have some beautiful boxwoods, and I think they might have gotten winter freeze. They are, you know, a tannish color on the top. Yep. And I took each individual and snipped down as far as I could go. Okay. But there's still quite a bit of tan going down the center. They're getting nice new growth underneath. I can see the green coming up around the bottom. Should I level them off or? I think it's. I think it depends on how they look. So if there's still some dieback in the center, and uh, you know, normally we would say cut down to about a quarter inch within that green, the nice green tissue on the stem, to get rid of that winter dieback. Um, but if you can't see it. Um, I think you have to, you can just make a judgment call on that. But normally we would say cut it down all the way into that, into that area. Cause it's not going to re rebud on that dead. Okay. Area. Let's go to Cameron, Wisconsin. I think Terry has a lawn question for uh, John. Go ahead, Terry. Uh, hi, thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sure. Thank you. Kill it with soap and water, but I wonder if. Uh, hey, Terry. Terry, after that. I don't know, Terry, if you're on a cell because your first part of your question was cut off. Why don't you pose your question, please? Okay, I've got a lot of uh, moss in my lawn, and I can kill it with soap and water, but then can I overseed it after that? Yeah, you can You can certainly do that, but um, and you can, you're starting to near the window of, of uh being too late to seed uh, your lawn because you're going to be fighting a lot of other an- summer annual grassy weeds as well. Um, but something else to consider there is why the moss exists. Uh, it's typically it's it's a moist and shady condition, and if you don't treat that problem, uh, you're probably just going to get moss again. So c- consider uh, how much shade you have and whether or not you want to have less, if depending on how much you want to control this moss. All right. Let's uh, thanks, Terry. Let's uh, let's hear from Gary. Then we're going to grab some text messages. Uh, Gary, you're on CCO. Good morning. Good morning. Morning. Um, I'm I'm growing tomatoes this Excellent. year, and I've got them in two pots, approximately a foot and a half in diameter, and they're well drained. Okay. And they're pretty much full sun. Uh, last year I had a, a good crop, but by mid-August, all of the leaves started to turn brown and just kind of fall off. And I'm wondering, is that a result of overwatering, or, or how much water should uh, tomato plants get if they're in full sun? So, Terry, have you put in new soil this year? It is new soil in, in each of the two okay. pots. Okay. So some, one of the issues with tomatoes is some of them are susceptible to a number of different leaf uh, diseases. And... Uh, and in some cases, by the time you see it, in fact, in all cases, by the time you see it, there's nothing you can do about it. And what you describe is uh, sounds like one of the blights that tomatoes get. We have an excellent uh, resource on our website called What's Wrong With My Plant. And if you go to that, it's at extension.umn.edu and go to Yard and Garden. You can also just Google What's Wrong With My Plant. And if you go to that you can actually go to the vegetable section, go to tomatoes, and then look for a description of what your plant looks like or what you saw last year. And it will give you a bunch of different resources for, uh, for how, you know, tell you what it is, what you can do about it. One of the number one things that our plant pathologists will recommend is that you choose a plant that's resistant to uh, the earlier late blight. 
and the septoria leaf spot. Those are the big three that we see on tomatoes. So choosing a disease-resistant plant and then water at the base of the plant. Don't water over. Don't do overhead watering. The leaves don't need any water. They need to be watered just at the base of the plant. You might be doing that already in a container. The other thing, too, is is rotating your crops. And in containers, you have the advantage of being able to put in new soil every year. And somebody had that same question up here on the text messages. Um, so any plant that's in the nightshade family, tomatoes, potatoes, peppers, eggplants, tomatillos, they all need to have new soil in containers every year, or they need to be rotated in your garden bed. And we have ex- information about rotation on our soil section of our website, too. So the last thing, too, is you want to always wash your with a 10% bleach solution before you fill them with soil if you've had nightshade plants in them before. So you've got disease-resistant plants. You want to water at the base of the plant. You also want to uh, uh, use clean soil for those uh, nightshade plants every year and then rotate them in your garden and then also wash your containers. And wash your tools, too. That's always helpful, your cages, your stakes, all of that stuff. That's a good point. And you're right, we did have a text yeah, asking so I think that we same killed question. Two birds with yes, we did. There. All right. Hang on, uh, Julie and John. We're going to take a quick break. We have another half hour of the show to go, so don't go away. Call in your lawn or garden question or send a text here on CCO. Good Saturday morning to you. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. If you're just joining us in the studio, Julie Weisenhorn, along with John Trappy from the University of Minnesota. Truly, if you have uh, any kind of a lawn or garden question, this is your day. Today. Let's hear it. All right. Call, call, in, <laughs> call in or uh, send Julie or John a text as well. Uh, there is a text that came in uh, earlier that can you put a systemic on hostas for slugs? So I would back up actually and think about why you need a systemic for slugs. So slugs go into plants and uh, particularly hostas. They grow, They like shady, cool areas. They chew holes in hostas uh, to to ingest that systemic, every slug needs to chew a hole in your hosta. So right now, so you're not going to prevent them from feeding on there. You're going to basically get holes in your hostas and then the slug will die. Okay, well, that's great that they die. But uh, the better thing to do is to alter the environment and maybe not have to use a systemic. For example, uh, I found it to be uh, helpful in my own garden to actually remove some of the lower leaves of the hosta so that it's up above the ground. They're not lying flat on the ground, making it really easy for slugs to crawl up on them. So I kind of go in there and I prune the base around there to open up the base of the hosta to increase light and then also bring those leaves up off the soil so that they're not creating this lovely, wonderful environment for slugs. Uh, other ideas, too, I know people put down um, mulch around those hostas. It's hard on the body of the slug to crawl across uh, coarse wood mulch. Um, but most of the time you want to look at the environment and find out and try to figure out, okay, why am I getting such a bad, you know, s- such bad slugs? Maybe you're overwatering, you know, a shady area that's really moist and damp. Boy, that's a perfect slug environment. Maybe you don't need to water as much in that area. So look at, look at the area before you reach for that chemical. People still use uh, beer? Yeah, and actually a former uh, faculty member, Jeff Gilman, wrote a book about uh, he tried out a lot of these garden myths, and and beer was one of them. He found that you need the cheapest beer, which was good. He was using (laughs) expensive beer at first, and he said, well, I could think of better uses for that, so... But he wrote a book about that, and you can just look at that. Just Google him on uh, on Amazon or on the website. Um, but he found that there's a there's an actual way to put those pie pans into or 
some kind of cup or whatever. He's got a dimension and stuff. He's one inch deep and whatever. And you have to put the beer right at the very surface, right at the very level so that, oh, no, no, actually a little bit below. You kind of so bury so it the slugs bit, right? go, Yeah, so the right slugs in. crawl over, but they have to reach into the pan to reach the beer, and then they fall in. So you can do that. You can put boards down and attract them underneath that. That's an old-time a way to do that too, but I prefer to actually prune my hostage. That's a good up. idea. Gotta yeah. try that. All right. Uh, uh, 651-989-9226 is the phone number. Text number is 81807. You know, uh, now that you and John are both here, let's mention that website again because it's just. Sure. It, w- there's lawn information there, right? There, oh, it's a great lawn section for homeowners. Uh, our website is extension.umn.edu, and you can click on uh, Yard and Garden up on the tab under Learn. We also have our excellent yard and garden blog and also the turf blog, too, which provide really timely information. Uh, you can subscribe to both of those and receive alerts when those uh, when new posts are done on those blogs. And I don't know, John, anything else about the turf blog? Nope, just turf.umn.edu. All right, very good. And again, if you have a lot of garden question, today's your day. Call it in or text it in. Let's go back to the phones. Alice is calling from beautiful Lindstrom. Hi, Alice. Good morning. Hi, Danny and Julie. It is beautiful this morning. <laughs> My question or comment um, is about <laughs> Japanese beetles. Oh, yes. And I have sprinkled seven on the grass. Uh, lightly, I've sprinkled it uh, in front of my very small garden and uh, and on the tomato plants. And it seemed to take care of the Japanese beetle. Now I'm wondering if this is safe for us. Uh, to eat the tomatoes. Um, I did it last year, and I'm still here. <laughs> and uh, it did seem to work. So is this something I could continue to do, or was it just a fluke? You want to address the lawn? So I, I can address the, the lawn portion, not necessarily the tomato portion. So the uh, anytime you're trying to apply uh, something to uh, restrict grubs in the lawn, uh, typically that's not going to have any impact on whether or not the adult beetles, uh, where they're at and how many they are, there are. Typically because their range is so wide that they could be coming from your neighbor's lawn or somebody from a mile away. So, um, so typically c- trying to control grubs is in the lawn is really only because they're so severe that they're actually causing damage to the lawn as larvae, as the white grubs. Uh, so, uh, Try not to think in terms of them as uh, trying to pre- prevent the adults from forming or, you know, c- from coming around rose bushes or tomatoes or anything like that. As far as the seven goes on fruits and vegetables, I'm just looking on the uh, label right here, and it says it's for use on fruit and vegetable gardens. Um, but what I would really recommend, Alice, is, and for everybody listening, is you've got to really read these labels. You know, nobody likes to read anymore. They all want to just do it. Isn't that true? <laughs> and so you really, from a safety standpoint, human health, environment, uh, your pets, uh, wildlife, water, you've really got to pay attention to that label. And, and it has to do with, uh, you know, there's lots of things you can do in lieu of spraying chemicals, but also the timing the amount, and what kinds of plants that you can actually use this for. You really need to read that information. And also what to wear to protect yourself. Good point. So there's lots of things you can do that you don't have to spray with. Uh, and uh, we we mentioned a lot of these on the show we did earlier a little bit Absolutely. with the tomatoes. 
Uh, Texter says, this year my peonies are leggy. I did fertilize about three weeks ago. The plants look tall and with thinner stalks. Plenty of flower buds. Why are they so leggy? I guess I would uh, look around to see if the light has changed, if they're in some shade, a little bit more shade this year. Maybe a tree nearby has grown up. Uh, it might be time to move them. Not not right now, but uh, this year might be a, a good opportunity to move them. And you can look at uh, information on that on our website on how to move peonies and what time to do that. All right, let's go back to the phones. Uh, Karen, I believe, is calling from Cambridge. Karen, you're on CCO. Good morning. Yes, my brother, or son rather, tells me do not use weed and feed on my lawn. doesn't matter whether it's granular or liquid. And this because he said it's going to harm the the trees and the shrubbery. And the second question, last week I think it was I mentioned, don't use garden so- soil for potting. I think that's it. Okay, we'll, we'll get some answers here. Yeah, I'll quickly answer the garden soil, and then John can address the other one. Um, garden soil, in uh, potting soil is better to use in containers because it drains better than garden soil. Garden soil oftentimes has uh, is heavier, and so we just recommend putting in fresh garden soil um, uh, to, to increase the drainage so that you have a lot better uh, growth in that case. It also is, includes some fertilizer most of the time. You're talking too. about potting soil. Potting soil, yeah, yeah potting soil. Okay. So the, to address the weed and feed question on the lawn, uh, typically the reason why we're hesitant on recommending the use of a weed and feed product is because you're essentially applying a broadcast application to the whole lawn uh, to try to restrict weeds. And those products are not that effective at controlling weeds, for one. And number two, uh, we recommend spot spraying when possible, uh, whenever possible, to try to limit the amount of, of uh, pesticides that we're putting out into the environment. Uh, and as far as safety goes, as far as trees and shrubs, uh, once again, as uh, just make sure that you read the label and directions on how to apply that product. Weed and feed products also have a herbicide label uh, as well and have directions on their use. And uh, trees and shrubs that you can avoid uh, applying that weed and feed product around uh, to limit their, their effect on, on non-target plants. Okay. Texter wants to know, can I start trimming back bushes that are done flowering and cut off all the dead wood? Yes, you can, depending on what those bushes are. And I think uh, I'm going to guess that if they finish flowering, then there may be an early spring spirea or lilac. Uh, And, yeah, it's excellent time to clean out that dead wood. That will really increase the light to some of the newer growth. All right. Back to the phones we go. Dan is calling in from uh, Minneapolis. Uh, Dan, good morning. You're on CCO. Yes, I had a question on, I have a real shaded lawn, you know, a lot of trees and stuff. What could I do for that as far as my lawn is really rough shaped? Well, well, uh, two things. Uh, first of all, you want to make sure that you have a uh, shade-resistant uh, species. Uh, the, typically, the fescues, specifically the fine fescues and the tall fescues, are more shade-tolerant uh, than uh, than other cool-season species like Kentucky bluegrass. So recommend planting the right plant for the place, uh, for your shady environment. The other thing, too, is, is it just depends on how much shade you have. So if your lawn is not receiving uh, more than a couple of hours of direct sunlight, there's a good chance that it may not be enough sunlight for, uh, for those uh, turf grasses to be growing in that area. And you may want to look at some alternative ground cover there. 651-989-9226. Uh, text is 81807. 
Uh, there's a text that spilled the car oil on the ground. What do I do to get grass to grow in that area? Well, oil uh, persists in the environment. Any type of petroleum product is going to persist in the environment for a long time. So uh, if you, uh, depending on the, the size of the area, you may need to actually remove the soil uh, from that location if you want to have grass to grow there again. Uh, and when you move that off-site, uh, just make sure that you don't add that to any type of compost or anything like that. So. Okay. Uh, tell you what. Let's do this. We need to take a quick break. So don't go away. We have textures. We have callers more coming up here on our Smart Garden Show here on News Talk 830 WCCO. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. We're around every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour welcoming your lawn and garden questions. In studio, if you just join us, uh, Julie Weisenhorn is in with uh, John Trappy from the U of M. And we will mention that website before uh, you guys take off today, okay? In the meantime, <laughs> let's go back to the phones. We have so many uh, questions to answer here. Marilyn is calling from uh, Woodbury. Marilyn, you're on CCO. Good morning. Morning. My daughter has um, a lot of rhubarb, and a friend would like some. Uh, can it be transplanted, and if so, how and when? So rhubarb is best transplanted in the early spring when it's just starting to come up. When you first see the kind of the start of the leaves, the the bulge at the base there of the plant, that's the easiest time. Right now, it is the prime time to be picking it, as you know. So uh, what I would recommend is that they uh, they harvest it, use it, eat it. It's delicious. Uh, and then next spring, just make a plan to uh, divide it, and that's the best time to move it. Now, rhubarb is also a big feeder, so they're going to they're gonna want to fertilize that uh, after they've transplanted it, too, as it starts to emerge and grow and produce some leaves. Uh, text, by the way, 81807. Here's one uh, probably for uh, John. Uh, I am doing more, am I doing more harm than good by fertilizing my lawn monthly? It looks very green. I imagine it would look very green <laughs> if you were fertilizing monthly. Um, I would, uh, you know, if, if you're doing more harm than good, I, I think it depends on where you're doing the harm too. So I would, I would recommend backing off uh, your fertilizer applications. And, of course, it does depend on how much you're fertilizing monthly, uh, the, the rate at which you're fertilizing. Um, but I would, uh, I would just consider uh, applying uh, fertilizer as far as like a, from a high-end or high-maintenance lawn. Uh, typically, it's once or, uh, once or twice in the spring and then uh, once or twice in the fall is what you should be focusing on as far as timing goes. Really, the fall is the most important time for fertilizer because uh, that's when the lawn is, uh, can actually store some of that energy and prepare it for the next spring and actually be able to fill in those, fill in those areas and have a nice, healthy lawn. All right. Uh, I sprayed, I'm not sure how to pronounce this, but it's a 2,4-D for dandelions on an area that had a lot of them. How soon can I spray again, or is it better to wait till fall? Okay, I, I believe there's also another text message question there for dandelions, so I'll be able to oh, good. address both of them. So uh, as far as the 2,4-D, uh, the it, I don't know specifically which herbicide label you're referring to. So um, as far as reentry or being able to reapply um, to try to control these dandelions, I would just consult the label because they'll have very specific uh, instructions on there as far as uh, when you can apply again uh, after one application uh, for controlling those. But related to dandelions, they're typically a, uh, they're a, a weed species that's uh, fairly easy to control and fairly easy to prevent if you have a dense, healthy turf. The best, the best defense against a weed, uh, any weed, but especially dandelions, is a dense, healthy turf. And the way that you do that is by making sure that you have proper cultural practices and, uh, and just make sure that 
next year, this, this coming fall, that you um, you ensure those proper cultural practices and make sure that your lawn is dense and healthy. And then next year, uh, you're going to prevent uh, some of those weeds from from filling in any type of voids. Oh, Julie, maybe you can help me with this, but it seems like in some circumstances, some situations, people want dandelions for the bees. They do want dandelions for the bees at times. And sometimes it can be uh, a little testy between neighbors when one neighbor <laughs> believes they should have dandelions and leave them. It's the choice that people make in their lawns. And uh, the one thing to remember about dandelions is that dandelions are perennial plants. Uh, dandelions put out a lot of seed. So if you can... Uh, go out there and mow before the plant goes to seed, that would be very nice for the rest of your neighbors. Oh, okay. Why it seems like, and again, with years of mowing lawns behind me, it seems like if there's, if I have a dandelion, I'll I'll dig it out. I won't spray it. Right, you can do that too. But it seems like every time there's there's a dandelion, it's like initially hidden behind a rock. Oh, stone. yeah. Have you ever it's seen really that? Hard, to, hard to dig out. What's it's, the deal with yeah, that? Big yeah. taproot. That's when you notice them. Yeah, right. they have a big taproot. All right. Uh, let's uh, let's go back to the phones. Carrie is calling from uh, Ham Lake. Uh, Carrie? There she is. Carrie, you're on CCO. Hi. Um, how long in the summer can you eat rhubarb? Usually we recommend picking it up until around the 4th of July, so midsummer. And after that, to stop picking it because then it will, it'll still produce more leaves, but then it will uh, produce those leaves, photosynthesize, and put energy into next year's crop. Okay. And can you cut the seeds off when it goes to seed? You can cut the flowers off, yeah. So that's bolting. It's called bolting. And it happens when we get these immense, you know, these suddenly these really warm temperatures, causes the plant to flower. And you can just cut that off, cut that stalk off. All right, very good. Let's go back to the uh, text messages. <laughs> Here's one for you. Will my rhododendron bloom? Hard to say. <laughs> I guess it would be. <laughs> uh, it, it, uh, a rhododendron, and I don't know if they're, I'm guessing they're talking about a broadleaf rhododendron, such as a PJM, which is a popular purple rhododendron that uh, keeps its leaves through the winter. And uh, in some cases, the plant is not in enough sun, or uh, maybe it needs some fertilizer uh, to kind of prompt some bud set. Uh, those plants have finished blooming now for the spring for the most part. Some of them are, are uh, kind of still blooming a little bit, but they're going to start to set their flower buds for next year. And you want to give those plants maybe a shot of fertilizer at this point. Um, not a lot of nitrogen. You want to look more for the phosphorus and the potassium. And then hopefully have, uh, you know, a better bud set for next year. Okay, let's see. Why is it so hard to find the old-fashioned pink honeysuckle bush? I'd like to fill in among my old bushes. Well, one of the problems with old-fashioned pink honeysuckle is there are four varieties of it. That It's an exotic. It's not a, a native honeysuckle, which we do have native honeysuckles here. And the exotic honeysuckles are four of them that are specially regulated as noxious weeds on the Minnesota Department of Agriculture noxious weed list. So they are not sold. And um, and so it's going to be hard to find those. You may want to decide to uh, start adding in other plants into those areas, that uh, other shrubs that might be good blooming, spring blooming shrubs, and start to diversify that that hedge. You know, we kind of started off the show talking about boxwoods, and there was a text that came in a bit ago asking, do boxwood shrubs suffer if they're buried under heavy snow all winter? We have uh, eight boxwood shrubs 
uh, all with Winterburn, but the ones that had more snow cover are doing worse. Well, one of the things to remember is that that winter burn probably happened before we got the big dump of snow. Uh, remember back to January, we had a warm uh, first half of January, and then we ha- and then the kind of the bottom dropped out of the temperature, and we had a really uh, incredibly cold half of January after that. And then we got dumped on with snow. So that burn might have happened before uh, the uh, before the the snow came. The one problem with heavy snow on any woody plant is going to be breakage of branches. So you want to be careful about uh, just assuming you can dump snow on those to protect them, but you're going to be weighting those branches down, and eventually you could break those branches. I know we're almost out of time, uh, Julie and John, but my garden uh, texter says raspberries look quite healthy, have set a lot of blossoms. Should I be fertilizing and with what type? So I'm going to recommend you go back to our uh, extension website, and uh, that is extension.umn.edu. Go to Yard and Garden and go down to the fruit section because we have a couple of really great publications about raspberries, and that's going to give you the information that you need regarding fertilizing. All right. Let's, I know we have less than 60 seconds to go. Let's bring in that, that whole website, that wonderful thing that you guys put so much work in. So that's extension.umn.edu, and uh, you can go up to the Learn tab, click on Yard and Garden, and remember to subscribe and read our Yard and Garden blog because that has current information that we see happening right now. We publish it every couple of weeks. It's accessible anytime. John, John, what should we be doing to our lawns now before we ask you guys uh, to, here's your hat. Just make sure you stay on top of your mowing and and just kind of uh, pay attention to any type of weather or anything like that. Just just look for pests right now. It should be Longer actively growing. Yeah. All right. Good to see you. Thank you both, Julie Thanks and John. Always a pleasure. Thank Thanks for all us. your help. I appreciate that. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.